Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 21. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone his immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them to not be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irrelevant babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. In the 1980s, uh, we grew up really poor in our family, and I never had a new piece of clothing. Everything was a hand-me-down until fifth grade. Um, I, in fact, I had uh, these shoes that my, my neighbors and family, when they visited Korea, brought back. They were counterfeit shoes, so instead of like Reebok, it would say Nibok. Instead of Nike, it would say like Nile or something with a swish. And so I was like, yo, that's the way we are. That's no problem. My brother got some nice clothes. And then, and then it was about five years ago, I went to visit my parents, and they were moving out, and they lived well. Uh, they sent three kids to college. We never really had financial strain. We were not wealthy, but... And then my mom told me that, oh, i telling us a story about their home church and how they were able to pay off the building. And when my mom told me... Uh, was, a, was like a mini heart shocker. During that time when I was buy, wearing used clothing and hand-me-downs, my brother's like large shirt and clothes, and he was getting the nice shoes, my mom and dad were not tithing to the church. They were double tithing to the church <laughs> so that they could pay off their building because the church was in great need in the 80s. How do you think that made me feel? I said, wait a minute, I wore my brother's extra large baggy, 10 years behind, you know, do you remember Cavaricis? One, one person, it was like the 80s, like kind of Guido, New Jersey Guido clothing. I wore these clothes and you didn't buy me shoes, instead you were giving double tithe to the church. 20% of their income was going to the church. I was furious five years ago, and I was a pastor. And then so... And then it dawned on me, as I kind of cooled down, my goodness, we never had crazy debt. 
my parents retired wonderfully. They had a great business. All three kids were all believers. My sister's a pastor's wife. My brother's an elder at a church. Um, and God called me to be a pastor. And they were so enormously wealthy in, in the ways that we could define them. And immediately my, my kind of shock went to gratitude because one thing was sure. My parents never in their entire lives that I knew them loved money more than God. They were not perfect, but I will say this. They never loved money more than God. It was not even a close battle. And so maybe that's why I grew up a little more frugal. Maybe that's why I grew up. But I do believe that's why I grew up recognizing that God takes the first fruit because God is so faithful. And they planted that in me indirectly. And so no wonder why our faith grew. No wonder why our trust in God was our only hope. If they were wealthy, if they didn't give and they just put that into a Roth IRA and they kind of put it in stocks, they would probably be millionaires. But something about them, they wanted to be faithful to God. They didn't want to be lovers of money. So Paul starts in chapter 6 last week, we talked about it. Paul doesn't say money is evil. The love of money is evil. And so Crosswalk uh, had an article in 2017, and the article says, signs that you love money too much. I thought it was kind of worth the read. Because I could feel like, ooh, that's a little bit of me. It's a little bit of all of us. There's ten, but I'll share six. Number one, you are obsessed with getting rich. Number two, sign that you love money too much. You never have enough. We talked about that last Sunday. This lack of contentment. I need more. I want more. I'm not satisfied. Why do I have this? I want more. You live beyond your means. Ooh, we're going to talk about that today. You're a bit of a show-off. You're characterized by your friends and family and close people as greedy, as opposed to generous. And six, you've forgotten the source. You think you've earned it. I did it. I built this wealth. And so this was an interesting statistic. Out of all the teachings recorded of Jesus, what percentage of all of his teachings talked about money? It's pretty high. 15% of all of Jesus' teaching was related to money. 15% was about money. And so an author, Randy Alcorn, he, he's got the best book on what our heart's treasure is and material wealth. He quotes this in his book, Treasure Principle. Our approach to money and possessions is central to our spiritual lives. Our approach to money and possessions is central to our spiritual lives. In other words, if you say you love God, show me your checkbook and where your credit cards and your bills are, and we'll show you what you really love. So one reciprocates the other. Because of our love for God, it'll be reflected in our finances. If it's not reflected in finances, we'll show us what we really love. And so Jesus knows people. Obviously, he made us. And money and possessions were directly in com competition. If not aligned with God, they would be in competition with God. And this is why Jesus says you can't serve both God and mammon. And so 1 Timothy 6, Paul is writing this letter to young Timothy. Paul's about to die, and he knows his life is coming to an end. Timothy, you carry on this gospel. Carry the good deposit I've entrusted in you. You know Jesus. As you plant and raise up leaders, carry this good news. And one of the charge and the warning is, Timothy, watch out for false teachers who love money too much. And you teach the people properly about money. 
So today, we're going to talk about what does Timoth- Paul teach Timothy about money. And this is what Paul says to Timothy, right? But as for you, they love money. You know, they're, they're fakes, they're charlatans, and there's greedy people out there. But as for you, oh man of God, as for you, those who are serious about knowing the good news and you're freed and you love Jesus and you know God is the treasure, flee these things. The verse before that, flee what things? The, the, the very nature of some wandering away from the faith and pierce himself with many pangs because of their love for money. Now, if we love money too much, half of Hollywood is, the plot of half of Hollywood movie is about love of money, right? You know, uh, Ocean's 8, Ocean's 9, <laughs> Every, every movie about money, there's a plot in there because people are driven by... Remember the movie Money Pit from the 80s? Okay, so 80s people. Okay, so, so, so surely Paul was considering the words of Jesus, right? Again, that no one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other, or you will dis- be devoted to one and despise the other. Paul is thinking about these very words. You cannot serve... Both God, I can't love money, and I can't love God at the very same time. And so, like a car, at least for me, maybe it's just me, I need an alignment once in a while to remind myself, whose money? How will you spend it? Where's your strategy with it? Where are your values with it? And we need to go back to the Word of God. And so, there are these three things that Paul mentions in today's text that I wanted to share. So first is, we need to shift hope in money to hope in God. Second is change the definition of rich. These are align, aligning our hearts and minds to biblical uh, values. Third, think future rather than now. Pretty simple. So let's go into it. Uh, first, shift hope in money to hope in God. Well, you're like, I, I don't hope in money. But here's the thing about money. Isn't this true? You can't, how many of you know when you're lying? Just, just humor me, like, like, some of you are lying right now by not raising your hand. How many of you know you're, you're stealing, right? How many of you know when you're, you know, worshiping baseball or your car more than God? We know that. How many of you know when you're being greedy? Ah, that's harder. It's a little harder. Because when we think about greed, we're like, oh, that person's greedy. You never see your own greed. It's, it's like pride. You don't see your pride. You don't go, my goodness, my pride's been acting up. Pride, greed is like the, Tim Keller calls it, the carbon monoxide of sins. You don't see it or smell it, but it kills you. And so we need to shift our hope and security in money to hope in God. So Paul writes this. Let's read it together. Here we go. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, Paul says a lot there in that one sentence. That's another whole sermon series right there. But he's basically starting to say, by, hey, rich people, chill out. Stop showing off and being arrogant. In fact, that's exactly what Eugene Peterson's version of the Bible says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything. And so, first, stop showing off. Second, will you think about where you're placing your hope? Where are you placing your hope right now in real life? The word hope in Hebrew 
The word hope in Hebrew is elipizo. And it, it's, it's, the mess, it's the word that says waiting for salvation or with joyful confidence. You're putting your joy and confidence in this thing. And so a lot of us in this world, living in Southern California, when money rolls in, we're like, yes, got that bonus. Man, life is good. Business has been rocking. Ooh, I feel, I feel good. Things are fine. Um, and we're finding joy, in, and we should praise God for that. Again, remember, Bible doesn't say wealth is bad. Wealth is good. Loving wealth, loving the money is what's bad. And so we're finding that our joy and security and confidence is only in our possessions. And we have forgotten God. And so those who find joy and significance, this is what it looks like in our lives. One, our happiness is dictated by the financial condition of our lives. So when things are going bad, when do couples fight and divorce? Money. Money is the number one cause of fights in marriages. When do we find security and wealth? money. And so we find, and so, by the way, let's be honest here. We do need a certain level of income, right? There is such thing as food insecurity. There is such thing as homelessness. I think what he's talking about, though, is for the wealthy who have all that, remember who your refuge and your shelter is. It's not in your bank account. And so what's true about our world, and you'll agree with this, I, I, I hope, even if you have wealth, are we truly secure? So raise your hand if you know that money will solve us from all kinds of pain, disappointment, broken relationships, and death. Has money solved that? Raise your hand if money is secure and certain. Like, no way anybody thought inflation would be 9.1% two years ago. If you did, you are, you are brilliant, and I want to get your tips on stocks. <laughs> No one thought that. And if you Google lottery curses, just track the case studies of all the people who won lottery. About 80% of them, their lives went dark. Why? Because money itself is not the security. Money itself is not, it's just fleeting. It's just an instrument of exchange. And so Jesus says again, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because these treasures will be eaten by moth, they'll be destroyed, they're going to whittle away, they don't last. They could be stolen. And in L.A. right now, there's a big problem with people stealing. Instead, let your treasure, lay up for yourselves treasures in where? Heaven. See, we're so focused on the present here and now, we'll talk about that in a short minute, that we forget real treasure. And he says, this treasure where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Earthly treasures are not sustainable. And if they're not sustainable, they can't sustain you. And I know so many people who have good wealth, but they have just terrible relationships. They're so miserable. And there are some wealthy people who are atheists that are happy, I'm sure. But what is true is wealth doesn't guarantee this joy that is across the board that found in God. So, kids, Everyone in here, kids, I have, a, I have a puzzle for you. What is one thing that all these things have in common? Only for kids, high school and down. Anybody? What's one thing that all these have in common? All right, adults? In God we trust. 
Do you know how that started? It actually started right at the Civil War. Um, and then in 1956, the Congress legislated to put it on every currency. But I wanted to read, um, read to you the rationale why and how it started. The historical national model has been seen as a way to strengthen the foundations of our freedom, serving as a constant reminder that the nation's political and economic fortunes were tied to its spiritual faith, not to our glorious power. That's how it started. What a great reminder. Ironically, we fall in love with the money more, but it's in there in God we trust to remind our nation our strength is not tied to the gold in Knox, Fort Knox. It's tied to the invisible, immortal, incredible, glorious God who exists now and forevermore, who gave us this land, who gives us life. And so this is why they put it in there. In 1956, they, they did that. So Paul is saying to Timothy in a similar token, remember that all things come from God, so teach them that hope must be in God alone. So question for you, is God your refuge and shelter? We really have to work at that. We don't have a lot, or we have a lot. But either way, God is our strength. Family, we're going to praise God for that. Do you acknowledge that God is the giver, or do you solely in the back of your mind think, it's all me. We did this. I did this. Go turn your hope back to God. Or this is a big one. Do you resent because you don't feel you, sh you have more than you should deserve? Or are you feeling arrogant and haughty like John read because you, you're doing pretty well with, for yourself? In both claims, you are your own provider when in reality God is the provider. So, we need to shift hope and money and ourselves to God. Second, we need to change the definition of rich. So this sermon could be really popular. The title could be this, How to Be Rich. And I literally want to teach us how to be rich. You ready? This is what the Bible says is rich. So 1 Timothy 6, 18, let's go into it. Let's be rich. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. The answer to greed and discontentment is right here. The, the key way to fight our greed and self-centeredness and discontentment is right here. And the answer is this. See that everything God has given you is a means for you to be a blessing to others. Just let that soak in. Everything God has given to you your children, your house, your job, your gifts, your talents is meant to be used for his glory to bless others. We're shifting something here. The, so the literal definition, the literal biblical definition over and over again in the Bible of what it means to be rich is this. To be rich in good works. Oh, so to be rich in good works Rich is giving away to the needy, according to a lot of scholars. Rich is the outflow of what God has given to you. And so where does Paul get this idea? It's from Jesus. In, chapter, in Luke chapter 12, sorry, here we go. Let's read this together. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich 
towards God. So he talks about what does rich mean? Same thing with Paul says. What does it mean to be rich? When this parable, you know the story, guy is successful. He had incredible wealth, so he built silos. He says, I'll retire and I'll live off that. Life is good. And what does God call him? Don't be shy. What does God call this person? You know, this God who loves us, who's gracious, who's so kind. What does he call this person? Fool. Why are you a fool? He's a fool because specifically he thinks he could take it with him and he can't. I've never met someone who died and said, thank goodness, can you bury all of that next to my plot? Right? You can't. You're a fool because when you die, this is all going to be given to someone else. It's not even yours. Second, he's a fool because he's been rich towards who? Louder, church. He's been rich towards himself. He's wealthy in the mind's eye. Like, look at Jacob over there. What a winner. He is so blessed. He's rich. And Jacob says, I don't care about any of you all. I am rich. This is all mine. He's spiritually dead. He's wealthy, but he's spiritually bankrupt. And he's got no answer for that. And lastly, Jesus says he's not rich toward God. So what does rich mean? Jesus says rich toward God means laying up in a way that we build treasure in heaven. Living in a way where you are marked by what you do with all the wealth God's given you to be a blessing to others. So scholars are mostly agreeable in this idea that being wealthy and rich towards God is that you are mindful of the needy. You are mindful that your possessions are not yours, but stewards of it to be a blessing for others. And so Jesus said another parable, if you want to be perfect, well, this is not a parable, this is a real story. Rich man came up to him, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus says, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. How does Jesus define treasure again? It's how you give to others. That's rich. That's being wealthy. That's something that will last forever. And so rich towards God means to, to give, to serve, to sacrifice. And in a pandemic, I'm seeing two types of people. This is my opinion. I'm seeing two types of people coming out of the pandemic. The first type is this. That was too scary. My life is temporary. I can't waste my life. I want to be a blessing to others. I want to make a difference in this world. That's awesome. The second type of people is, oh, my gosh, that was scary. You know what? My life is short. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to do everything I can to get what I want. And so we have these two types of people, and they're living, living their life to their fullest, but with a different aim. One is, how can I make a difference in this world? The other one is, how can I get the maximum out of it? But, you know, what? I went to, when you go to Six Flags or Disney World, can you go all of Disney World in one day? Do you ever go to Florida, Disney World, Epcot Center? I forget all the other names. Like, you can't do everything in one day, right? In fact, you can't even do everything maybe in one week. you got to get a VIP pass for $3,000. I saw somebody do that on YouTube. It was crazy. And even then, you can't get on everything. And so we have this mindset that, you know, I'm going to try to get as much as I can with my short life. And Jesus is saying, here's how to be rich. Shift off of yourself. And shift it on others. This is what wealthy living looks like. And we see Jesus not only teaching that, 
but he does it. Jesus gives his life away so we could live. So, how do we live rich? Just practical things. This one, please take notes. Youth group, children, young adults. Some of you are doing this already, but these are for the people who are not terrible with finances. How do you start living this rich way? Number one, you need to have a budget. You don't know how many times people come up to me, Pastor Jason, over the years, can you pray for me? We're having financial difficulty. You know, one of the first questions I ask, do you guys have a budget? No. So how do you mark, we just spend whatever we need. I did that in college, and I racked up my college credit card bill to like $4,000 as a college student. Terrible, terrible way to live. Because you don't track, right? You go out with your friends to a diner. Hey, man, I'll, I'll cover this tab. Hey, we're going to go watch a Broadway show. I'm going. And then what happens when you get the bill 30 days later? I'm making $5 an hour. How am I going to pay for this? And we lose track. And so we are barely hanging on to make the little payment, offering, giving to the poor. That's not even on our radar. We think we're the poor ones. So what about this? When you're in the airplane, what do they tell you to do? In case of cabin pressure, put the oxygen mask on yourself. So that you could help others. If you're financially struggling and drowning in water because of terrible discipline and no budget, you're being a terrible steward, but more importantly, you can't be rich towards God and others. And the reason God wants you to have good health financially is so we can bless others. Are you a me, me, me person? Or will you eventually be someone who can I serve with the bountiful? My wife and I, we have this motto, when things get tough, we give more. That's hard. We're going we're gonna to hit that harder. When financially things are tough, who do we have around us that can be blessed? And I'm so thankful for that. Why? Because we have a budget. We get a car repair bill that's $800. Guess how much I sweat? Zero. Why? We've budgeted $1,000 for emergency car fund. Budgeting makes it so less painful. And budgeting also tells me 10% or 5% or 2% offering, we're going to give it to God first. And that's, we're going to live off 90%, pay off the bills. And how do we do this? And so this is how you start prioritizing to give and bless others. By the way, I am not even asking you to give to this church. So if you don't want to get to this church, prioritize your budget to give to God in other ways. But have a budget. So God and serving others is part of even a small budget. Remember the widow with the two copper coins. So God is saying, I want you to be rich. And today, we're going to say, God, we will be rich. How? We want all the blessings you've given us to be for your kingdom and for the true needy. So third, lastly, we've got to think future rather than now. This is a typical financial concept that you'll learn in any college as well anyway. How many of you love the beauty of compounding? Okay, maybe like five of you. I love, com- I love compounding. Compounding is simply this. Do you want to receive interest for your savings or do you want to pay interest for your debt? Uh, and it, you know how if you don't pay your credit card, it just feels like you're barely covering it. But if you have savings and mutual funds and money's compounding and growing from interest, you start building wealth. Anyway, that's a whole sermon in itself. But Paul, Timothy says this, First Timothy, 
Let's read it together. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So the third thing Paul is saying is keep your future in mind. And I think he's talking about brilliantly both the immediate future of your old, as you're getting older, Timothy, and the eschatological future when Jesus comes. Are you mindful of the future? You know, when I rented a car in New Jersey, we rented a Dodge Caravan hybrid. It was kind of cool. Guess what I didn't do? I didn't spend $200 getting it detailed, like clean and wax. Why? It's not my car. I'm going to give it back in three days. It's temporary. If it's my car, I might take care of it, change the oil, polish it, wax it. But it's temporary. Folks, Christians, where is our home? In heaven with God. Is this world our home? Not really. This world will become a new world, new earth, and a new heaven when Jesus comes. But this is not our home. So Paul is saying, think about the future. Think about the ministry when I'm gone. Think about the good news when I'm gone. And think about when we are together in heaven. So Jesus says this in a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and what? Sells all that he has and buys a field. And we'll wrap up everything hinges on this. What does this parable mean? Wait a minute. He found treasure, so he sold everything he had to have a treasure? Isn't he still materialistic? This is what Jesus is saying. And I'm not that smart, so I'm going to read someone else's. Everything we own here and now pales in comparison to the great treasure that God gives. Everything you own, have now, can be sold or given away if you have this treasure. What is this treasure? The kingdom of God, which is given to us through Jesus Christ. And so Randy Alcorn, again, I'll read his words. If we miss the phrase in his joy, we miss everything. The man wasn't exchanging lesser treasures for greater treasure out of dutiful drudgery, but out of joyful exhilaration. In this parable, Jesus is appealing to what we do value, temporary earthly treasure, in order to make an analogy about what we should value, eternal heavenly treasure. We should think of the treasure hidden in the field in Matthew 13 as representing the true lasting treasures we find in Jesus, the gospel, and God's eternal kingdom. Any earthly treasure we part with to obtain that far greater treasure is well worth the exchange. And I want to say as a church, amen. Everything I have now, my car, my house, or anything in this life, pales in compared to sitting before the throne of God. And to see Jesus in glorious being, adoring, loving, radiant glory where we're meant to be. This is heaven. And so Paul says, look forward to that future. And it keeps us from our momentary, temporary, earthly treasures with a lighter grip. And so here's what living for the here and now looks like. We live beyond our means. You go into debt to get something you don't really need to impress people you don't really like, as Dave Ramsey says. We live for ourselves. Charity and offering is like the afterthought. We, we live in a way uh, to gather. We live undisciplined. And how many of you heard this word, delayed gratification? 
is hard. <laughs> we need to get immediate gratification. So Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? The treasure we have been given is in Jesus Christ. I'd rather be poor and have my children know Jesus than to be wealthy and for them to be just pagans running away from God because our lives will all end. And if they don't have the great treasure of Jesus Christ, what have I gotten for eternity? And so I believe this. And so the way that we can live with a better hope, the way that we can live rich, and the way that we can live for the future is to recognize God has given his treasure to us so we could have the greatest treasure in Christ. Yes? Amen? And when that happens, this material possessions is important. And you need to get a job. And you need to build wealth. And wealth is not bad. But our hope doesn't lie in this. Our mission begins. Serving giving. We start living wealthy and rich because we're looking to see who we can bless rather than waiting for see who's going to bless us. So I want to end with this. Uh, can we thank Mr. John Taylor? Let's just give him for. <laughs> we didn't plan this. I said, John, um, he's, he's 95 years young. He doesn't mind bashful about that. And and I said, John, can you play a piano for us for offering? He's like, I sure can. Let us know. And then he gave me this song next week. He didn't know I was going to talk about money last week or today. And he said, this is a song I'm going to play. How fitting is this song? And so I want to do this. And I can't sing a cappella well. So we're going to end with just these words. Just read it, read it carefully now. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to just read through these words from the author. And I want to just end just singing this song. That this is the treasure we have. This is why we could live rich. This is why we could live with contentment in worldly things. Okay. Oh, man, this is, good. This is embarrassing, but it's okay. Let's go. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than... Be the king of a vast domain and be held and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords. This world affords today. How can you sing these words unless you have found the great treasure that makes all worldly treasure pale in comparison to having him? Let's pray. Lord, money talk is challenging and it's 
frightening. It's agitating. It's uncomfortable. It's a necessary uh, instrument. And I'm, I'm grateful that our church, for the most part, I see so many generous people. I see so many gracious people who don't love money. But it is a temptation that not only us, but the world falls into. And so, God, instead of running from this, would you shine us the bright light, the great treasure that we have through what you've offered through your son? That, Jesus, you are the treasure and the hope that makes all things pale. And it even aligns our hearts and minds of how we steward all the treasures you've allowed us to have because of the great treasure. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling right now to pay the bills. I pray for those who are stressed because of debt. And God, you have given us practical ways to get out of it. And you've also given us a community that we could lean on each other. And so, God, may we be a glimpse of the kingdom of God as people who live out of debt, who live joyfully in building a treasure so that we could be a blessing to others. I thank you, God, that our church doesn't have any debt and that you've given us our daily bread to sustain and to minister. What a joy and glad thing that is. So, Lord, let this sink in. Help, it, help us to not only learn it for ourselves, but for our children and for other people that the true, true joy in financial stewardship is really rooted in you and your principles. So, God, we pray all these things for us. And we thank you for teaching it. Let it sink in. Give us the discipline and the desire through the passion of the calling and the mission you've given to all of us. That on the last day we could still sing, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. It is in his name we pray. Amen.